agree. It is a good morning. I think the rain, promised rain, actually came in. And so I hope you brought your umbrella in. If not, we'll find some women to volunteer to go out and bring your car up for you. That was intended to be funny. I'm sorry it didn't come off that well. For those who are watching online, by the way, uh, I think I've got family watching online. Maybe Joe's watching, watching a sick child. But my sister sent a text. I want you to know this. My sister sent a text, not to me, but to my wife, and said, is my brother online today? Okay. She said she was home sick. You know, Thomas missed a meeting of the gathering one time, and he didn't know that the Lord was risen. So just think about that, those of you who are like, anyway, glad you're here. Whether you're watching online or you're here, glad you're here today. Glad to have the Johnsons with us today. Philip, I'll give you the notes for this later, and you go back and preach it. But I'm sorry, that one's not quite high enough, but glad that each of you are here today. And it is a great day. It's a great time in our society, in our times. We are making progress, I believe, and I think we're making progress here. We're beginning to see more and more coming back to worship. We're glad that each one can be here, glad when you are able to be here without fear, or uh, we'd love to be able to be even more open than we are, but we'll deal with that as we move forward. I began to think just a few weeks ago into the lesson and thinking about this. I began to think a few weeks ago, you know, we, we emphasize a lot of things along the way, but there comes a time you need to go back and kind of remember some basics in a way. Not that I want to go back and just amplify each basic concept that we find in the Bible, but there are some things I think we need to have in our minds and remind ourselves from time to time. We need to be reminded that there are some fundamental concepts that we need to hold on to in our lives. And so I call this the big question. The big question, and it comes down to this. It may not be the biggest question, but I think it's always the question that's out there. What am I to do? Wherever we go, that's the question. What am I to do? What am I supposed to do when I'm here? Let's go to Acts chapter 2 for a moment. I think that says verse 36 through 42. Actually, it's through verse 41. But Acts chapter 2 Beginning in verse 36, in that familiar passage as Peter is preaching that, that message on that Pentecost to that crowd that's enamored with the things that have been happening there, as he comes to this point in his lesson, kind of the climax of the lesson, he says, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now... When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? The emphasis is mine, but what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let everyone be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and to your children. And all those who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Underscore the question. What shall we do? 
They heard the message. They caught the drift of this. And then the question is there, now what am I supposed to do? If I believe this, what am I supposed to do? If I accept this, what am I supposed to do now? And Peter says, there are some things you need to begin to do. And we could have read through the remainder of this chapter. We could have read through the remainder of the book of Acts to a great degree, especially the first half of the book or first third of the book. And it would have said, here's what they did along the way. And here's how they practiced along the way. But we begin with the question, what is it? that we're supposed to do. You know, whenever we face a new challenge, a new job, a new opportunity, whatever it might be, when it's new, there is a common question, and that's the one. For no matter how great a thing may sound, we still want to know what we're supposed to do. What does it require of us? For I think sometimes people take a job and they become all bent out of shape because the work that's in, because of the work that's involved in it. I was thinking about there were some National Guard troops who were, were being sent, who were called in and sent uh, to duty. And some of them were being interviewed along the way, and they seemed to be grumbling a bit. And, and I think one of, them, one of them stated it best. And the thought that was going on when he said, if I'd known I'd have to do this, I never would have joined the National Guard. My thought was, what did you think you were doing, you know? Did you think you were just joining a country club and all you had to do was sit around the pool all day? I don't think you did, but, and maybe that didn't identify a lot of those who were being called in. That's not what I mean. But I thought, what a question to be asked. I think some things are just too obvious to ignore. It's kind of like when I was a kid. If you were a kid like me, when I was a kid, I mean a child, not a baby goat, in spite of some thoughts. When I was a child, I might have stated that I, I, I would not have gone to school if I had known it had been so much work to go to school each day. I'd rather stay home and play, wouldn't you? But called people do have to wonder what's ahead for them. Whenever opportunity calls, whenever a job puts you to work, you have to wonder what it is. A couple of things came to mind when I was thinking about this. I think about the case of Moses. There he is out tending his, his father-in-law's sheep and the sheep that are out there. He's taking care of this. He sees the sight. He goes to check it out, and God says, I've got a job I want you to do. Moses said, I'm not the guy for the job. God said, yes, you are. Moses said, what proof have I got? What name have I got? And God says, okay, here's what's going to go on. Let me show you the wonders that I'm going to show there in Egypt and everything. But Moses wanted to know, why am I the guy doing this? And what is it that you really want me to do? I think that's a natural question. But maybe even more so, there were those disciples, those apostles of Jesus. that were wondering, what's ahead for us now? What are we supposed to do? And then we even find them. We even find them at the ascension of Jesus. We even find them at that point wondering, what are we supposed to do now? Lord, will you restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? And so the questions are still in their minds. They had wondered what they were supposed to do after his death. They wondered what they were supposed to do after his ascension. Yes, they were to go and wait, but don't you know, in their minds, they're wondering what comes next until that Pentecost day. What comes now? And things began to unfold. And I know sometimes it's just a wait and watch and see and determine and make your choices along the way. But the question is still there. You go to a new place, how am I supposed to behave when I'm here? Walk into a new restaurant, you say, do I sit down or do I wait for them to seat me? 
You look for the sign. You look for something to tell you. We wonder what we're supposed to do. You take on a new job. What am I supposed to do here? How am I supposed to handle that? There are changes that come in life, and we begin to wonder about this. And I think even as Christians, we pause and we reflect a little bit, and we wonder, what is it that I'm supposed to do now? Somebody comes up and says, okay, here's what you do. Here, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. And they say, great, I've got it. What do I do now? Well, let me offer to you a few thoughts in that regard, just a, just a few in that regard. I want you to know that when God speaks or calls, we need to know and question what he wants. When God speaks, we want to know what God wants, and we should know what God wants. We've got a history in the Old Testament of God's calls and questioning responses. I mentioned Moses already there in Exodus chapter 3, where he says, Lord, I'm not sure I'm the guy. What is it you want me to do? Even when he goes to Pharaoh in the fifth chapter of Exodus, and he goes to Pharaoh and says, I want, to, I want you to let our people go that they might go and worship their God. And Pharaoh says, who is God that I should obey his voice? He wants to know, why in the world should I be doing something here? Or even Saul, when he's selected to be the first king of Israel. When Samuel gathers everybody together and it's the time to appoint or acknowledge that king, Saul's not up there at the front. He's that kind of hiding out because, you know, he's got to wonder what in the world does all this mean in that regard? And maybe even more open about his statements was Gideon. When he's confronted in the sixth chapter of Judges, as the messenger of God comes and tells him, uh, Gideon says, you talking to me? You sure? You know what tribe I'm from? You know what family I'm from? You know where I fit into that family? He says, I'm not the guy you really want for this job because I'm not one of those higher echelon guys. I'm at the very bottom of things. But he says, you're going to do it. Here's what I want you to do. Gideon had to find his way along in that. But there was that question, are you sure you're asking the right guy? Or we can look in the other direction, and then there's that prophet, you know his name, Jonah, the one with the big fish. Yeah, you've heard that story, haven't you? What did Jonah do when God called? I'm not going there. Heads off in another direction completely in the way he's going. And so when God calls, we really want to know what God wants. And as I thought about this, now just kind of as an aside to this, as I thought about this, I wondered, how often does God openly and verbally speak to humanity? Really not all that often when you think about all of history. You know, we're reminded in Hebrews that God largely used the prophets to speak to people and so forth over time. But how often does God openly and verbally speak to humanity? I guess there is a sense in which he speaks to us every day. Think about Psalm 19, those first three verses. There is no speech or language where his voice is not heard. All this declares the glory of God, but there is no place, no speech or language where his voice is not heard. So God is speaking regularly, but I think we're thinking about that literal voice in our ear. God used other means, and he was, he was very auspicious in the way that he approached it in the way that he would speak to some and the, the times that he would speak specifically to people about specific things. I was thinking about a fellow that we knew back years ago. His name was Charlie Morris. Charlie was not a guy to say very much. He would come to business meetings in the church and he might not say a word the whole time he's there. 
You go around Charlie, he might not say much of anything. And if you knew Charlie Morris, you know I'm telling you the truth. But when Charlie did say something, not that he was a greatly educated, not that he was a person of, of great notoriety or something, but when he did speak, it was usually something that was well thought, purposeful, intended, and anybody that knew him listened to what he had to say. God speaks or calls, we want to know what he's saying. Because when God speaks or calls, he has something to say. And it means there must be a response. The very beginning of the Bible says, let there be light. Those are the words of God that we read in the very beginning. And there is an immediate response to it. There is a light that's not been there before. And so begins the progression of creation in so many ways. But there is a response. But you know, people don't always respond to God in his opportunities, in his call. People don't always respond to God in, in the best of way. Let me offer to you a few thoughts about some of the ways people respond to God when he has something to say. There's the Sergeant Carter approach. Now, you've got to be a little bit older to know that one. The Sergeant Carter, or watch old television shows. You remember Gomer Pyle, USMC? What did Sergeant Carter say? I can't, I'm not going to imitate him, okay? I can't hear you. That was early in the show. I can't hear you. Well, it's repeated a few other times at Psalm 115, about verse 6. It says, hearing they will not hear. Some just say, I don't really hear God. They see the sun shine. They see the wonderful nature of the world around about us. They see the beauty of people. They have God's word in front of them. They say, but I'm not hearing from God. Some are just saying, I can't hear you, and they avoid what God is saying. There is the conveniently foreign approach. In other words, I don't understand the language. Remember when the disciples came to Jesus and said, why are you talking in parables? We're not understanding the things you're saying. Jesus said, let me explain the parable to you, beginning with the parable of the soils. They didn't understand. Some just went away not understanding. I think there are people today that think, okay, I can't get it. I'll just walk away from it. I won't know it. I won't understand it. Friends, this is not higher mathematics that we're talking about. But some will still say, I don't understand, so I'm going to leave it there. And then another one you might like is the deaf husband approach. A lot of you know that one, the deaf husband. He really doesn't have any difficulty hearing. I shouldn't tell that, should I? But he often says to his wife, did you say something? I didn't hear you. I didn't hear what you said just means I didn't really want to hear what you said. Never happens at our house. Never once. So don't try to, try to lay that in there. But there's a deaf husband. And then there's the Casper the friendly ghost approach. And I know that sounds kind of si silly, but it is that idea that let someone else tell me what God's wa God wants because I'm afraid of God. A very dear lady in the church years ago, as I've mentioned to you before, said, I'm very comfortable with Jesus, but God fills me with fear, scare. He scares me. God scares me. I think there are a lot of people that think God scares them. They don't want to see how kind and generous and benevolent God is and has been through the ages. It's like the Israelites there at Mount Sinai. They tell Moses, you go listen to God. We, we, we don't want to be hearing him. We're fearful. 
to hear God. And so they send Moses to listen to God and bring back the word to them. Let me give you two more real quick. Do these sound kind of familiar? They are. They are, aren't they, if we're honest? How about the Egyptian river approach? Well, that one was almost funny. We're talking about denial. Just claim that God didn't speak. He didn't say it. Did God really say it? I didn't hear God say anything. Remember when Jesus was talking about how he would be lifted up and everything, and, and they're talking about God glorifying him, and the voice spoke, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again in the 12th chapter of John, 28 and 29. Many of the people just said, oh, I think it was just thunder. It was just thunder. That's all it was. It wasn't God's voice. It was just thunder. The denial approach comes into play. But what we want to hear is the Samuel approach. For when he is corrected by Eli, he goes back and the Lord calls to him. And Samuel says in 1 Samuel 3 and verse 10, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears you. Speak, for your servant hears. That's the way to approach it. That's what we want to hear. That's what we want to be. The very basis, the very basic fundamental answer to the question, what does God want now, is listen to God. What do you want from me, God? To ask the question, Lord, what do you want? I think some people never even ask the question. They just stop and say, all right, I've done this. I don't really want to know much more. But friends, I want to get across to you that when we learn the call of God, no matter what comes, it's time to step out of the boat. You just got to step out of the boat. And it is a natural question to ask, what is expected of me? What do you really want from me? That's what they ask there in verse 37. Men and brethren, what shall we do? What are we supposed to do here? And the answer to our question has an obvious and basic answer. It's very simple if you want to put it out that way. It's very simple. Simply do what you hear or what you learn. Then there's Jesus' question, Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord and not do the things I say? There is something that you believe there, but why are you stopping at that? In the very conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, we find the story there. Beginning with the idea... Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. You travel on down through that to the end of the chapter. And Jesus is emphasizing it's about hearing God and doing them. And he tells the story of the wise builder and the foolish builder and the one that is not paying attention, the one that is. And in the conclusion of the matter, they are astonished at his teaching because they had never thought that way. They had never heard it that way before. What is expected of me? And as the question still vibrates, we want to know, we want to know what we are to do at any level of faith. And I can't tell you everything this morning, but let me give you just a few thoughts in that matter. For no matter where we are, what we already know, and more answers were both forthcoming, but let me summarize for right now. You begin with belief, don't you? Mark 16, 16, he that believes and it's baptized, will be saved. It's not just about getting dipped in water. It begins with that belief, doesn't it? It begins with that. And yes, it is about taking action. 
For after they ask the question in verse 37, the ne very next verse, Peter responds, repent and let everyone of you be baptized. It is about action and the purposeful action and the understanding of the reason for the action is, is put there before us in plain words. But it is about taking action in our lives. It is about doing something in response to what we know God has already done and prepared for us. And then we put on a new person. It's about change. That word repent is about change, isn't it? We understand that. It's about doing differently than we have done previously. Put on the new person. Jesus had told Nicodemus when he came to him that evening and he said, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Emphasizes where we used to hear it in the previous century. Everybody wanted to say, I've been born again, I've been born again. Then suddenly it lost all meaning because there was no change in the lives of people. But it is about change in life. Except one be born again. Then he repeats it and says, except you're born of the water and the spirit. There is a responsive action that is involved in this. Put on the new person that is in him. And then Romans 6, focus. Focus. Focus on the new life. Focus on what you're doing. Focus on the determination to do it. Focus on where you're going in that regard. Shall we continue in sin? No, no. God forbid. How should we that died to sin live any longer in it? He goes on to say that we were buried with him by baptism into death. Raised to what? Newness. Of life. Very straightforward, very plain, isn't it? But focus on that. Then let me give you two more real quick. Do good stuff. What? Do good stuff. Got that. What does Paul tell us? Tell us Colossians 3, you've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above. Seek doing the good stuff. Philippians 1.21, put the, the application of Christ into your life. For me to live is what? Is Christ. Ask the question, what does the Lord want me to do here? What would he have me to do? Not just what would Jesus do, but what would the Lord have me to do right here, right now, in this place, in my family, among my friends, at my work, or wherever I am? We ask the question, Lord, what would you have me to do in this situation right here? And do the good stuff. Don't excuse ourselves from it. Don't set back but do the good stuff. And then finally go home. Not right now, stay for a moment. But you know what I'm talking about. Go home. Point yourself towards home. There comes a time, it's time to go home. And I think we're all trying to head generally in that direction, aren't we? Paul said, I've been poured out like a drink offering, 2 Timothy chapter 4. He said, I've fought a good fight, I've, I've finished the course, I've kept the faith. And he said, there is now henceforth laid up for me a crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me in that day. He says, I'm going home. I'm going home. You go back to Philippians 1 again. He said, he'd like to go home. To depart and be with the Lord is better, verse 23 reminds us. But believe, take action, put on a new person, focus yourself, do good stuff, and go home. We're pointed towards home. That's the beginning of the question, isn't it? What shall we do? We're going to say more. I want to share more with you in this regard because I think we need some practical, some down-to-earth, some I-can-live-this stuff for our lives, don't we? You know, I get reminders from time to time especially at home. I won't mention my wife, but I get reminders from time to time. Say, why don't you make a list? 
When I say, oh, I forgot to do that. Why don't you make a list for yourself? Nowadays, she says, why don't you put that in your phone? Well, there is a reality of that, and, and it, she's right. <laughs> says, then you'll know what you need to do. Too often, though, too often as Christians, we haven't made a list. Too often we have, in the past especially, and maybe even today, we have measured faith in Christ, that is the Christian life, by two things. Baptism and church attendance, especially at the right church. We have measured Christianity by two things, baptism and church attendance. Other things, far less. I got to say, I believe that is pretty limited. No, that's not just pretty. That's ugly limited faith. And that's as far as we see in our lives. So I think if you're willing to give it some thought, and we can consider these things together, the words of Micah may be especially appropriate for us in the beginning of these thoughts. For Micah says to us in Micah 6 and verse 8 in that familiar passage, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So as we begin to look at our lives, let's renew the question in our hearts and minds. Let's renew the question, Lord, what is it I need to do now? Like those people on Pentecost said, what should we do? Let's pose to ourselves the question, what am I to do now? I know what I'm already doing. What do I need to be doing? We're going to sing that song of encouragement that's been selected this morning. If there's someone who needs to respond this morning, let us encourage you to do so. Let us help you in whatever you might need. If you need the prayers of the church, if you need to obey the gospel to be baptized this morning, we'd gladly assist you in that great beginning that comes with baptism. If there's someone who needs to respond this very day, let us encourage you in that, but let us all be encouraged and reminded of the Lord's opportunities. And if you need to come, do so while we stand, while we sing together.